The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. Welcome to another Sunday of Church Online. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name is Anoj. I've been coming to PCC for a number of years now, uh, my entire life actually. Um, And it's a privilege to to share with you from God's Word. If you're new or you haven't been with us throughout this entire series, um, we're we're journeying through a a series entitled The Kingdom Revealed. And we've looked at a number of different parables which Jesus taught where he unpacks the, the kingdom and he says the kingdom is like and then he unpacks it. So we've looked at things like the kingdom is unstoppable. Um, it's priceless. It's limitless. And we, we come to a passage today which is challenging. Um, and today in our parable, what we're going to see is that the kingdom of God is imminent. The kingdom of God is imminent. Now, just by way of, way of illustration, um, I wonder what comes to mind when you think of that word. Uh, perhaps for you, something that I've experienced um, is just you're at work. Um, and it's 8.30 and the boss hasn't arrived but you know that he's coming um, and you know that his arrival is imminent. That has a, a, a way of expectation where you know phones need to be away. You need to be focused on your work, which should be at all times. But there's a sense of expectation and anticipation. Or another one is maybe when you're a child and you've, you've done something wrong. Um, you, you know you've done something wrong. You've maybe broken your, your mum's flower pot because you kicked the football with your brother there. And you know that that your parents' arrival home is imminent and you know that, oh no, I'm going to have to face this, this anger or this, this disappointment in my parents. And that sense of their arrival being imminent brings about a sense of anticipation and um, expectation, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But this morning, I want us to consider this question. How often do we feel the imminence of the kingdom of God? This morning, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew 25. We're looking at the parable of the ten virgins, which Jesus tells you in verses 1 through to 13. So if you have your Bibles, have a read of it. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen as well. This is what it says. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go out to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But we, but whilst they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. The virgins who were ready went in with, with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others came. Sorry, later the The others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. 
this morning we're going to do three things. We're going to unpack three things from our passage. Firstly, we're going to see and look at the imminence of the kingdom. What does that mean? What's Jesus' point there? Number two, we're going to look at the two responses to the imminence of the kingdom. Two responses. What are two different ways you can respond to that? And thirdly, we're going to look at how to respond rightfully or correctly or in the right manner. So we're going to look at the imminence of the kingdom, two responses, and how to respond rightfully. Let me pray and then we will dive in. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you that, again, your word is, is speaking and it's active. Uh, we thank you that, Lord God, no matter what happens in our world around us, your word is always true and relevant and important. And we pray um, as we unpack this parable, um, help us have hearts that are open to hear. Uh, I pray that you guard my words as well. Let me be faithful to your teachings in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're looking at is the, the imminence of the kingdom. Now, to understand this, we, we need to understand the context in which Jesus has been speaking. In chapters 23 and 24, Jesus has unpacked some heavy stuff. He's cast stern warnings against the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He's um, spoken what's called the, the seven woes against them which highlight their hypocrisy and how they, on the outside, seem to have it all together, but their hearts are so far from the heart of God. Now, if you can imagine as a disciple, sitting there, hearing this and thinking to yourselves, man, I thought these Pharisees were the cream of the crop. I thought they were the the ones who had it all together. They were the, the benchmark and the gold standard, but they're being absolutely destroyed by Jesus. And that's a difficult thing for, for many first century Jews to have heard. And so they, they come to Jesus and they say to him, when will all of this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so in the latter part of chapter 23 and in 20, chapter 24 as well, Jesus goes ahead and tells them a number of different signs and things that will happen before his coming. And there's, again, more scary things in there, such as the the desolation of Jerusalem, this holy place which um, first century Jews would have loved and revered. And Jesus in these these chapters is making it abundantly clear again and again. He's saying, no one, not, not even I or the angels, only the Father in heaven knows the day, the hour of, of the coming. And so he tells them, therefore, to, to keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And so on that backdrop, then he tells this parable. He teaches this parable and he, and he makes a, a number of points, but the major one he brings out here is that the kingdom or the coming kingdom is imminent or it's soon. We see in the story, there, there, there are 10 virgins or perhaps better understood as 10 bridesmaids, if you like, who are waiting for this bridegroom to arrive. And at that time in, in first century Israel, there's a particular process that the weddings followed. Often it would start with the bridegroom um, and maybe a couple of his friends heading out to the bride's house where they would meet the bride and they'd have a few ceremonies to to finalize the, the wedding and the marriage. And then they would proceed through the streets, often towards the bridegroom's house. And that's where the, the wedding banquet, the, the, the feast was. And these festivities would, would last sometimes for, for, for a number of days. And so there'd be a procession towards that great banquet or feast. And now in the story or in the parable that Jesus tells us, we find ourselves somewhere in the middle of that, likely in that last processional part 
up until their banquet as we see it. And we're not given much information about the the, the bride or, or who the bride is, but we're told that there's this groom that is coming and there's a banquet that's waiting at the end. And so as the story goes, there were, there were 10 of these, these women who were waiting, but five were ready and prepared, five were not. And eventually, even the, after the delay of the bridegroom's arrival, when he finally came, five were found unprepared or unready um, and five were found ready and ready to go in. And as we, we look at it, we see that there's this dichotomy between the two. Five were prepared, five were not. But one of the main points that Jesus is, is bringing out in this passage is that the arrival, the coming of the groom in this, in this parable was always imminent. The, the, the women, they could have gone and potentially bought oil later, or sorry, earlier, when they realized the, the groom was, was, was not here, or was getting delayed, but they couldn't really because the arrival was always imminent. Every moment in time, the arrival was imminent. And that's our first point here. Jesus is saying that the arrival of the kingdom of heaven is imminent. It's soon. It's, it's almost at hand. And so the, the women in the passage might have wondered, where is this guy? Why is he delayed? But they would have known that his arrival is imminent. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm sure you've had similar encounters or situations where you've experienced a similar thing to, to my story here. Sometimes I, I drive to my friend's house. We're going out somewhere and I'm going to go pick him up. And so I'll pull up outside his house and I'll text him and I'll say, hey, I'm outside, please come out. And he'll respond saying, yep, I'm on my way. Now, the reality is sometimes he'll text me that and say that, but he's really just stepped out of the shower or he's still ironing his shirt, or maybe he's putting his shoes on, or maybe sometimes he's at the front door, literally about to walk out. And I, I don't know where he is on that process. All I know is that he said, hey, I'm on my way. But I also see in my car, I see that I need to put petrol. And he lives near a, a petrol station, so the thought goes into my mind, I've got, if I've got five minutes here, I can go put petrol, fill up um, in my car and come back, and I'll still be ready. If he's just jumping out of the shower or ironing his clothes, I've got time. But for one reason or another, I, sometimes I, I decide to sit and wait and stay there. And he comes out, let's say, after 10 minutes. And I could say to myself, well, I, I always had time to go and put petrol beforehand because it would have taken me five minutes. But on the other hand, I realized that I couldn't because for every single minute that I was waiting, his arrival was imminent. He could have walked out of that door at any moment in time. And if I was not there, I was not ready. I was not prepared. I was in the wrong place. His arrival was always imminent, so therefore I had to stay and wait and be prepared for that time. And that's the sort of idea that I think Jesus is bringing out here in, in what he's teaching. He's saying that in light of the context where the disciples have asked him, when are you coming? What's going to happen? He's kind of making the point to them saying, hey, don't worry about trying to pick out a particular day or a particular hour um, or try to identify a particular time. All you need to know and remember is that it is soon. It is imminent. My coming is imminent. And in doing so, he's then warning them, saying, therefore, keep watch. Don't get complacent. Always be ready and be prepared. And so when we think about that and, and what he's saying to his disciples and by extension us as well this morning, what does that mean? What, what's the significance of that for us? 
I think for us this morning, we need to ask ourselves a similar question. He's telling the disciples, hey, don't worry about a, a time and place. We need to be, you need to ask yourself, are you ready for that arrival? And I wonder how we would go if we asked ourselves that question. If we look at our lives and peel back the layers of the things, to, to see the things that nobody else sees except for, for our God, would you find your heart to be ready? Is my heart ready? See, so many times, either in, um, overtly in the way we talk or, or subconsciously, we can find ourselves falling into the trap of thinking something like, you know what, I'll get serious about Jesus later. Right now, I need to focus on my career because I've just started working and I want to build my career and go somewhere with it. Sometimes we can focus on, on money and setting ourselves up uh, for the future and, and having nice things. Sometimes there are certain goals, life goals, career goals, whatever it may be that we, we just want to hit and give our focus and attention to. And we do all these things and so we say, you know what? I'll give God whatever time I can. I'll be at church, yes, and, and read when I can, but, but I'll get more serious. I'll, I'll, I'll make more time for Him later in life when things start to simmer down, when they start to become a little bit less chaotic. Or maybe for you, you're in a different space where, where you're actually a little bit indifferent. You know, in these times where we're not meeting physically as a church and our personal rhythms and routines of maybe Bible reading or singing and praying or meeting with other brothers and sisters, maybe that's all out of whack until we find ourselves in a place where our heart's a little bit distant from God. Our heart's a little bit cold towards God. But the scary thing is not just that that's the reality of our hearts, but that that true symptom or situation Maybe the scary thing is that it doesn't actually bother you. It doesn't actually move you. Right now, you're indifferent towards it. I wonder if some of us say similar things to these. You can insert yourself into into any one of these scenarios or others. But I want to ask you the question, are you living in a way that, that feels the imminence of the coming kingdom? Friends, this morning, the parable that Jesus tells He's making a very clear point that the kingdom is imminent and he's beckoning us to recognize that. But not just that. It's not enough just to recognize that this kingdom is is imminent and it's coming. This parable demands us to respond. It demands us to make a decision. One way or another, a response, a choice is demanded. How will we respond to the truth that the kingdom that's coming is imminent? And that brings us to our second point where there's two responses, two types of responses to the imminence of the coming kingdom. And in this parable, Jesus highlights them by showing two groups of people, the five foolish women and the five wise women. And what I want to do is I want to unpack a couple of similarities between between the two groups, the two similarities, and one major difference between those two approaches. So the first similarity that we see with both the women, women, groups of women was that all of them were waiting together. Verse 1 tells us that at the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. They're all there together. Yes, we're told that five were wise, five were foolish, but to an outside viewer looking at that situation, they would see 10 women waiting for the coming of this bridegroom. On the outside, on the external part, they all looked like they were, were, were people who, women who wanted the same thing. 
that is for the groom to arrive and to enter into the, the feast and the celebration together. I think that's important to note, remember, particularly remembering the, the context within which Jesus is speaking. How he's just cast seven woes against these religious leaders who on the outside look the part. They do all the right things. They, they strive as hard as they can to be obedient and, and look the part as if they're, they're really about loving um, the Lord their God. And so although they appear holy and righteous, Jesus has just exposed their wickedness and hypocrisy. And we see here that there's a similar thing even that I think happens in the church today where many of us are in church, sadly, and we, we're there week in, week out. Maybe we tune in online even week in, week out. And we, we say and do all the right things that we need to do, but on the, on, on, below the surface, our hearts are cold and distant from God. And the reality is that even though we look the part, we are still so separated from Him. The second similarity that is interesting to know is that all 10 of them fell asleep. I know when I've heard this passage or, or read it through myself, sometimes it's easy to think that the reason that the, the foolish women were foolish was because they were found to be asleep. They were not ready. They were asleep when, when the king, um, or sorry, when the groom arrived. But in, in, in our passage this morning, Jesus says that in verse 5, that they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, at the very least, what that's signifying is that to fall asleep, falling asleep here in this parable was not a bad thing. Jesus was not condemning them for falling asleep. And many theologians have, have debated what does this mean? What, what's the significance of them sleeping? But I think what, what uh, a view that comes to the fore a lot in, in these discussions is that Jesus is not con condemning the women from doing the, the normal and the mundane things whilst waiting for the groom to arrive. It really flies in the face of some of the teaching that goes around these days where to be ready for the kingdom or ready for, for Jesus' return means that we need to sell everything that we have um, and we need to run to the hills and look up and just be si sitting there waiting for him to, to come back like that. It, it flies in the face of that concept. Listen to what John Piper says in one of his articles about this particular parable. He says, The wise virgins slept which means sleep signifies normal, ordinary, day-in, day-out life of doing what you got to do and sleeping when you get tired, getting up, doing what you got to do, sleeping when you get tired, getting up, doing what you got to do, going to bed, get the rest you need, get up, do what you got to do. This little word, they all slept, means, that, means what God expects of us in this period of time between the engagement and the marriage is do your duty and get the rest you need to do it. So we see here Jesus is not condemning. He's not condemning the living and, and, and doing the mundane things of life, studying, going to work, enjoying time with friends. He's, he's not saying that these things are necessarily at odds with being ready because all 10, the wise and the foolish, all fell asleep. But the major difference that comes out here between the two groups out of these 10 women is that only half of them were prepared. Only half were prepared for the coming of the groom. Listen to what verse 3 and 4 says. It says, the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oils in jars along with their lamps. Now what's happening here? Naturally, in those days, the lamps, they didn't 
run on energizer batteries, which last longer than any other batteries, perhaps. They, they needed oil for these lamps to be lit. They needed oil um, for, for the flame to be, um, to be burning. But only five of them, only the five wise women, brought with them extra oil. Only the five wise women were prepared in the event that a delay occurred. On the other hand, the five foolish women, they didn't bring any extra oil. They were unprepared. And now again, maybe people debate what does the oil signify and what could it mean? But I think suffice to say, Jesus is making a very clear point. He's just reiterated that the kingdom that's coming is imminent. And so we have to respond. And there's two ways that we can respond. And he, he makes a point quite simply that you're either you're ready or you're not. He's making the point that the five foolish women, they didn't prepare. They weren't prepared for the delay. They were unprepared, whilst the five wise women were ready and ready for whenever the groom arrived. And, and in the broader, broader context, I think Jesus is beckoning the question, where are our hearts at? Are, are we people that are ready for, for the coming of the groom? Do, do we live lives that stoke the, the flame, as it were, of passion for him, or are we content or distracted by other things? Friends, the importance of this question cannot be understated this morning. Whether we're here and we're watching this service for the very first time, or whether we've been in church for 30 or 40 years, Jesus is making a very clear, clear point here that the imminence of the kingdom demands a response. And so the question then is, what is ours? What is our response? Which of these paths do we find ourselves on? For some, for some of us, maybe, praise be to God, we find ourselves on the path that says, you know what, I am ready. I, I'm not perfect and I still need to grow, but by and large, my heart is thinking and engaging in these things and, and I'm excited for the, the coming of the kingdom. Or if that's you, you know, great, praise be to God. But maybe there are some of us who maybe can't say that with any real confidence. Perhaps when you sit down, you peel back the layers of your heart and really look inside what's deep there, you find that we're not all that sure. We're not all that, all that sure as to whether we are prepared and ready. Maybe for you, you look at your life and you've done all the right things. You've been in church every single week, be it in person or online. Maybe you say grace before every single meal because you know you're, you're supposed to do that. Or maybe you've tried as hard as you can to obey the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've, you've dived right into serving and, 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 and doing and, and being busy in, in the church or in other ministries because you, you, you know that's what you're supposed to do. And you've looked the part. But maybe when you peel it back and see the things that no one else sees, you, you question, you wonder, who, who or what are you really loving from your heart? It's interesting, you know, these, these times have, I think, really shone a light into our hearts and shown us that, or shed light on the things that our hearts really value. For some of us, maybe we've realized that we value friends and family so much that being separated as we have been in these times have completely wrecked us and thrown us into, into utter chaos. Or maybe it's the difficulties of, of losing a job um, or, or losing opportunities. Um, that you wanted to have and were part of your, your five-year plan, maybe. And these times have, have, have thrown that into disarray and you're angry and you're anxious. 
and you're angry towards God because you think, I've, I've done all the right things. I've, I've been in church. I've, I've been faithful to you, but why are you letting this happen to me? Maybe for you, you've just been so caught up in the mundane things where you're just all about doing the things you need to do, going to work, studying, and that's so consumed you that you haven't even realized until now that your affection, your heart for God is diminished. Friends, the reality of this morning's passage is sobering. How will we respond to the imminence of the, of the kingdom? How will you respond? Will you be like the five wise virgins who, whilst being faithful in the day in and day out, mundane stuff of life, were still prepared and ready for the coming of the groom? Or will you be like the five foolish ones who look the part on the surface and do all the right things, but in their hearts of hearts, they were so far from him. They were unprepared. Wherever you find yourself this morning, the call is laid plainly before us. We need to be prepared. We need to examine our hearts and, and, and bring our hearts before God and be prepared for the, the imminence of the, the coming kingdom. But that then raises the question, how? How do we get prepared? How do we be like the five wise women if we've currently been living like the five foolish ones. And at this point, I think we're so easily tempted to rattle off a list of things that we need to do to get ourselves ready. I need to read my Bible more often. I need to pray more often. I need to sing more often. I need to share the gospel with someone more often. And they're all good things, but I want to suggest this morning that if those things are done and pursued alone, they will eventually fall short as well. Because no doubt you've heard a sermon like this or you've read something before and you've, you've started on that path. You've, you've read your Bible more. You've tried as hard as you can to do all these things, but over time they've fallen away. What else needs to happen? How do we actually get ourselves to be on a path where we're, where we're not just doing things for the sake of it, but we're, we're doing things that we're preparing our hearts in a way that's going to be long-lasting and effective? How do we get ourselves ready? And that brings us to our third and final, final point, how to respond rightfully. One thing that we haven't looked at at all very much so far in this, in this passage is the one often neglected character in this story. We focus so much on the five wise virgins and the five foolish ones. But sometimes I think we miss the third character in this story, which is of equal, if not more, importance. That's the character of the groom. See, the story is, is, is really centered around him. For whatever reason, he's delayed in coming. And these, these 10 women are waiting together in eager anticipation for this one person, the groom, the centerpiece of the story. And when we, when we realize this, it really changes how we approach the whole idea of being ready. See, when we look at the five foolish women, we can think, you know, well, why weren't they prepared? Well, they didn't bring enough oil. And we think, you know, they, they had something that they had to do. They had to prepare and bring the oil, but they didn't. And that's why they were unprepared. And to some degree, that's true. But I think there's a deeper issue that's at play here in the hearts of those five women. Why didn't those five foolish women think to bring the oil? Look what happens now text when the groom comes the, 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 he, he arrives and these five have gone off and bought more oil and they come back and they come and they knock on this door 
to let them into the, 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 the feast and the groom opens the door. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you didn't have a flame going at the time when I came, so you can't come in. He doesn't even say, you know, you didn't bring the oil and you should have, so you can't come in. He doesn't say, you weren't waiting with the group like the other five were, so you're not allowed in. Look at what his response is. He says, look at what he says. He says, but he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. When we see this part, we realize that there's an important truth of the story here. The ticket into the banquet was not something to be done, but someone to be known. The ticket into the banquet was not someone to be done, but someone to be known. The reason I think that the five foolish women didn't bring the extra oil and were unprepared was because they didn't have the love and the the knowledge of the groom that they should have had. They didn't have the affection on a deeper heart level that they ought to have had. Let, Let me illustrate it this way by two different analogies in my own personal life. As many of you know, I, I am passionate about sports, in particular rugby and, and, and footy as, as it's called. And when I was in high school, I used to play rugby for, for my school. And sometimes we'd have a game which was about, started about 10 o'clock in the morning. And my coach would say, yeah, you know, get there around 9 o'clock. Um, but in reality, people got there at 9.15. We didn't start warming up till about 9.30. But without fail, my parents can attest to this, every morning I was up early. Every morning I was pushing them and making sure that we were leaving on time so that we were there well and truly before 9 o'clock. For me, to get there at 9.01 was late, even if nobody else in my team was there. And when I packed my bag, I made sure that I had my, my mouth guard, my boots, my water bottle, everything I needed. I double or triple checked sometimes before leaving the house. I was so keen on being prepared and ready and I was there, to, willing to be there before nobody else was. On the flip side then, let's take something I didn't like all that much and that was tutoring when I was in high school. Sometimes I knew that my class started at 7pm and I knew that it took about 12 or 13 minutes to get there. And at 6.45 my dad would come in and say, hey, come on, like, let, let's go, it's time to go. And I'd be like, oh, just Just relax. We've got plenty of time. It only takes 13 minutes to get there and there's 15 minutes left still. I was more than content to get there at 6.59. And when I was leaving the house, I'd just grab a book or grab a pen and a calculator without much thought and just make sure I had what I thought I needed for that class. Why? What was the, the difference? Why was I so willing to be prepared for a, a football match but not for a tutoring class? And the reason is not because I enjoyed being prepared, not because I necessarily enjoyed having to wait for an hour, but because I knew what was at the end of that preparation, what was at the end of that waiting, was something that I really enjoyed, I valued, I loved, I was passionate about it. Because I loved sports and football, I was willing to do all the stuff I needed to do to be prepared. And I think a similar heart is at play here. If we want to be people that truly are prepared, that truly, yes, do the things we need to do, but do so in a way that's effective, we need to come back and start by remembering who it is that we're waiting for. All throughout the Bible, one of the common metaphors that's used for for God is this idea of, of the bridegroom or 
the, the husband. In the Old Testament, God is described in a number of places as the, the husband of Israel. And in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is described as the bridegroom and the church is his bride. And so if we find ourselves now unprepared and wanting to make a change, then the invitation is clear. Come back to knowing and cherishing the groom. Fix your eyes on the groom, the person who is coming, Jesus Christ. See, at, all that, at one point in time, we were all cut off from God. We were all separated from His presence. We all had the door slammed in our face. But Jesus Christ, when He came, the first time He, he came and he, and he walked around of suffering that led Him to a cross. And on that cross, He, he took the one thing that separates us from our God. That's our sin and our shame. He was the ultimate wise one, the ultimate pure one. But he was nailed to a cross. And he was pinned to that cross to to take the punishment of our sin and our shame. And there when he was on that cross, when he hung there, taking that punishment, that pain, that wrath, he, he cries out and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The pure and wise one was forsaken. He was cut off. As the old song goes, the the, the father turned his face away. See, Jesus had the door slammed shut in his face so that we could have the door open wide for us. Because it's when we're in him, when we give our lives to him, when we live with him as our Lord and Savior, when we're in him and, and, and the truth Um, of what he's done becomes our own because he paid our debt on the cross and then rose again in in victory. Because he did all of that, those of us who are in him now have an internal inheritance to be looking forward to. Friends, when we remember that it is Jesus that we're waiting for, it is Jesus that we're preparing for, it's our beautiful Savior and Redeemer, the one who's done it all. When we remember what he has done, And remember who He is when we behold and meditate on that beauty of the wonderful ultimate groom. When we do that, we then find the strength, the desire, the diligence to be prepared. To do the things, yes, that we need to do. Because we're remembering who we're doing it for. We're we're waiting in eager anticipation for the coming of our groom. Friends, there's a day that's coming where we will be welcomed in into the greatest banquet that the world has ever known, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And as we wait in eager anticipation for that day, for the coming of our Savior and our amazing bridegroom, let us prepare our hearts then to wait in eager anticipation for Him so that when He comes, when the the trumpets cry out, Here comes the groom, we will be ready we will be prepared because we know that His coming is imminent. It's soon. And we're eagerly excited and waiting for that. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank You, Lord, for this parable. I thank You, Lord, that you, You've taught us that you, you are coming soon, Lord Jesus. But Lord God, we, we want to be people that are found ready. And so we pray, Lord God, would You start by focus, fixing our gaze and focusing our attention on You. You are the ultimate bridegroom. You are the ultimate hope that we have in this world. You are our saviour. And I pray that as the beauty of, of who you are 
inflames our hearts. I pray that then we will do the things we need to do to be prepared. Lord God, so that even though as we, we go about our daily lives at work or at school or uni or with our friends and the things we've got to do, I pray that even as we do those things faithfully, we will always remember and be eagerly anticipating the day where our, where our great our great bridegroom comes and takes us into the greatest feast and wedding banquet the world has ever known. Father, give us the, the heart and the affection that we need. Lord, I pray that you, by your spirit, fan into flame that love for you, Lord Jesus. Um, and Lord God, help us to remember all that you've done and, and your great sacrifice for us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.